are studying on Sunday evenings what I call the grace approach. Uh, it's a memory tool to help us as we are witnesses of Jesus Christ and as we're learning to share our faith with others. This is the first of the year uh, on the morning services. And I'm trying to challenge you to dream again. You know, COVID has killed so many of the dreams that we had of what we wanted to see God do. And we're challenging you to dream again today. I challenged you about showing compassion, be moved with compassion, Uh, and the next two Sundays I'll continue in that same vein, and then starting in February, we'll go back to our series of messages from 1 Corinthians uh, entitled, Dear Paul. But at the first of the year, we're we're trying to make sure that that we get people moving in the right direction. We've had uh, three lessons already, Uh, and the first lesson we learned that God intends for us to bear fruit. And he wants us to bear fruit that remains, and we're specifically talking about the fruit of others, uh, that he wants us to bring others to faith in Christ, and then help them to go on into discipleship. You do that, lessons two and three, uh, by using the truth in grace. Jesus is full of both grace and truth, and the truth helps us to see our true condition. Uh, Grace is what comes and redeems us, comes and saves us, comes and rescues us. But you've got to have truth and grace together. You can't have one without the other. You've got to have them both, truth and grace. Last week, uh, I was talking about repentance, and we got down uh, to the end of the, the, uh, the lesson, and I did not get to finish the outline from last week. And some of you are just about to die because you've got blanks on your sheet that don't have answers in them. And so I'm going to go back, and I'm not going to speak about these things, but I'm going to talk uh, about them just for a moment so that you can fill out at the end of last week's lesson, letter D and letter E, and you can have the answers, and you can go home in peace tonight. You can sleep because you'll have those answers. So uh, letter D, on that last page of last week, we must return to the unresponsive to be effective. We must return By the way, you should have a new lesson for tonight. It's called the grace approach. Uh, That's not what you're writing on. This is from last week. We must return to the unresponsive to be effective. If we don't get to lead somebody to Jesus Christ, what do we do? Walk away and never go back? No, we go back to them. We return to them. And then you look at the, uh, the agricultural illustration. We have to water the seed, watering the seed, cultivating the seed, harvesting the seed. So you go back, you water it, uh, you cultivate it, and ultimately we pray that there'll be harvesting that comes from it. And all of those illustrations come out of Scripture. That's letter D. And then letter E was we must reinforce. We must reinforce the new saint to be effective. Uh, We don't lead somebody to Christ and walk away and leave them. We have to reinforce them, go back and help them begin walking with Jesus Uh, Number one says, once a person is trusted in Christ for salvation, we must take them the rest of the way into full discipleship. Jesus said to go and make disciples, not make decisions, go and make disciples. Number two, discipleship is the process of teaching new believers to faithfully follow Christ. That's what discipleship's about, faithfully following Christ. And then number three there, the final one. Trusting in Christ for eternal life only takes a moment in time, but growing in discipleship requires a lifetime of commitment, a lifetime of commitment. Now, why didn't I spend more time on those? Because we have a lesson or two coming. 
that deal with those in greater detail. Tonight, we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about the grace approach. You say, where do you get the idea of the grace approach? Well, it's a memory tool. Uh, In 40 years, I have taught about how to lead somebody to Jesus Christ, how to share your faith so many times that I I can't even think how many times it has been, over and over and over again. Sometimes I've used other people's materials. Sometimes I've used my own materials. Any of you remember this book from probably 15 years ago? Uh, This was a 13-week series of lessons called Salt and Light. And we printed it into a booklet. We gave it out. And people were able to fill it out and take notes in it. Uh, The purpose of showing you that is we've talked about this over and over and over again. Well, this, this is a different way of doing the same thing, but it's a memory tool. Taking the first letter of the words uh, of, the, of the spelling of grace and using it uh, as a way for us to remember. So the things we've discussed thus far, we're going to sort of bring it all together in what we call the grace approach. So we're going to make fruit, fruit that remains. We're going to bring forth fruit, fruit that remains. We're going to do that sharing the truth and the grace of the gospel uh, how do we do that? Well, first of all, letter G, you've got to gain their attention. When you're talking to someone, you've got to gain their attention. You've got to find a way to bridge the gap so that you can talk to them about the most important subject there is to talk about, which is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his saving grace. How do you do that? Well, we talked about some of these in one of the earlier lessons. You can do it with a revealing question. Do you know if you died today that you'd go to heaven? Has anybody ever told you how you can know you're right with God and have a home in heaven? And I gave you a list of different kinds of questions that might be the right question for you to ask. You can do it with a radiant testimony. I told you that maybe the most important thing you learn to share is your own testimony. Learning to tell others your story of how you came to faith in Jesus Christ and learning it uh, to do it in a succinct manner so that when you share it, it's not like it's a 25-minute story. It could be a 25-minute story. It needs to be a three- or four-minute story. It bridges the gap. Uh, You can do it with a relevant scripture. You might be talking to somebody, you hear something that they say, and you say, you know what, there's something in the Bible about that. Can I show you something out of the scripture about what you're talking about? It might be with a relevant scripture, or it might be a responsive concern a responsive concern. You see somebody that's going through something in life and you recognize that this may be your open door to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ with that person. I I gave you something at the back of that packet that uh, I think there's one sheet and then you have an extra sheet that looks like this. It's called Rating Life Events and Changes. Do y'all have that? Uh, I found this years ago. It's not new. I found this years ago that just shows the rating of life events and what are the most traumatic moments. You realize that there's open doors around us if we're only looking and paying attention. There's opportunities that are around us. Obviously, the death of a spouse or a child or a family member, that's probably the most shocking moment of life when you may find an open door to be able to share the gospel, a divorce or a separation or a jail term. Uh, maybe Brad needs to go to the jail term. Brad, if you got that much money, I need to talk to you afterwards. 
um, uh, you know, a jail term or the death of a close friend or the diagnosis with a terminal illness, and it shows you the most jarring moments of life down to the least jarring moments of life. Now, obviously, not everything in life is listed on this uh, sheet of paper, but you begin to recognize that there are those moments when a responsive concern, when you step up, when you step in and you say, I just want you to know I'm here for you. I want you to know that we love you. I want you to know that we're praying for you. And when you get the opportunity, you share the gospel. But to share the gospel with somebody, you've got to gain their attention. You've got to get their attention, right? Okay. You've got to get their attention, right? Uh, you don't want to be talking to a wall. You've got to find a way to get their attention so that you can do what we're going to talk about next. The letter R stands for relate the gospel. You gain their attention, you relate the gospel. Again, this is very simple. It's a memory tool. I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I need something to be sort of a guide when I'm talking to somebody. i got to get their attention. I'm talking to them. We're having lunch together. We're having supper together. I'm over at their house. I'm looking for the opportunity to share the gospel with them. When I gain their attention, I relate the gospel. They've got to understand the condition. We talked about this, grace and truth. We talked about it under truth. They've got to understand the condition. The Bible says that they are sinners. Do you realize very few people talk about others as being sinners or themselves as being sinners anymore? There's very little discussion of that in our churches. And yet the result is that people won't be saved if they don't understand the desperate circumstances of their lives, that they are sinners if you have somebody that's a hard case and they just can't understand what it means to be a sinner, you can use the Ten Commandments. And you can take them, especially through those last six commandments, you can take them through those commandments and you can show them how everybody comes up short. Everybody falls short of the glory of God. You relate the gospel. You got, they got to know their condition. They got to know the consequences. They need to understand their consequences. Uh, what are the consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ? Well, the consequences are that you're separated from God forever. You're consigned to a place of eternal uh, torment forever, the lake of fire. And people need to understand. I, I said to you here that we want people to feel helpless, not hopeless. We want them to recognize I can't do anything to help myself, but Jesus has done all that is necessary to help me. And so they got to understand their consequences. And thirdly, they got to understand the cure. You got to relate the gospel, their condition, their consequences, the cure. And what is the cure? It's Jesus Christ, isn't it? We got to talk about Jesus. Now, I love it when you talk about the church. I love it when you talk about uh, Mary and me. I love it when you talk about our deacons. I love it when you talk about our staff. I love it when you talk about, you know, various things. But the reality is none of those things, none of those people can save anybody. The only one who can save is Jesus Christ. And we have to talk to people about Jesus. And we have to talk to people about what Jesus has done for us. Are you thankful tonight that Jesus died for your sins and rose again and lives today? And can you remember where you were when you first understood that message and your life was dramatically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? And can you think about people in our lives, your life, people that if they could just hear the gospel, the seed of the gospel, the word of God, 
that Brother Lake was just talking about, sown into their hearts. Do you believe that God is still transforming lives? He absolutely is. The gospel is just as powerful as it was in the first century. When people understand their condition and they know the consequences and they see the cure, even if at that very moment they don't respond to the gospel, the reality is that God begins working in their hearts in ways that you hope they cannot escape. The conviction of the Holy Spirit that they cannot escape. And we want them to understand that Jesus has paid it all. There isn't anything else to be done. Jesus has done it all. You're not going to get into heaven. I'm not going to get into heaven on the basis of anything I've done or who I am. I'm going to get into heaven on the basis of what Jesus has done and who he is. There is no other way to heaven. Um, we have a man that comes uh, periodically and watches this online periodically who believes that there are many ways to God. And we've had numerous conversations about it. Inevitably, he starts in, in some other area way outside of the gospel, way outside of the scriptures, and works back to the Bible. And I keep bringing him back to the Bible and working back out to these things he's talking about. We don't have a Jesus figure in every religion. There's only one Jesus. And the Jesus that's the Savior is the one that's revealed on the pages of the book that we read, the Bible that we read. If people have to know about Jesus. Were you moved this morning as we went through some of the ways that Jesus showed compassion, were you moved at the compassion of Jesus for people? You saw it over and over and over again. He showed compassion to people. He was moved with compassion on people, and Jesus changed their lives. Well, he wants to use us as the vehicle of sharing that compassion so that he can keep changing people's lives, and he does it by the sharing of the gospel. So we have to gain their attention. We've got to get their attention so they'll listen to us about the most important message there is to hear. We've got to relate the gospel. It's not enough to talk about your church. It's not enough to talk about good things that you like in your church or good people that you like in your church. You've got to talk about Jesus. Jesus is the one that needs to be heard. He is the one we have to communicate to people. The letter A stands for ask the question. You know, if you share the gospel and you walk away, then you haven't been a witness yet for Jesus Christ. Ultimately, we want everyone to have to answer that question, what am I going to do with Jesus Christ? Am I going to trust him as my Savior, or am I going to walk away from him? Number one here, under ask the question, would you receive Christ as your Savior right now? You say, isn't that bold? Yeah, it's bold. And there may be times when that's not the right question to ask at the given moment, and the Holy Spirit says you need to wait a little longer on this. But more often than not, we need to be bold enough to ask the question, would you receive Christ as your Savior right now? Our pastors and, and I who have visited the hospitals over the years have many times come upon people that we know they've only got days, maybe only hours, maybe only minutes to live. And inevitably, we try to share the gospel. We try to make sure that they know that they know Jesus Christ as Savior. 
But somehow, because we're not in the hospital and we're not on some kind of life support and we haven't been given some kind of terrible diagnosis, we think we've got plenty of time. I say we, I mean people in general, that we've got plenty of time. You you realize people in your life are a heartbeat away from eternity? It takes one heartbeat. I was watching Monday Night Football a couple of weeks ago when the Buffalo Bills player went down. Did y'all, how many of you are watching that game? See, now y'all should have been studying your Bible. That means I should have been studying my Bible, right? I was watching, and he went down. And you could hear it in the voices of the announcers. You could see it in the players as they gathered around their teammate. And they talked about CPR and about shocking his heart back to life. Who would have ever thought a young man who's as strong and as healthy as that young man was would be at the edge of death? Actually, I think he probably did die, and they brought him back by shocking his heart back to life. Who would have ever thought that? You understand people, we think we're going to live long lives. We don't know that. I pray that we do. I pray that we do. But the reality is we aren't promised tomorrow. And this is the moment and this is the time. And to fail to ask that question, except in maybe some given situations, to fail to ask that question is to leave a person uncertain about where they'll spend eternity. And can you imagine having had the opportunity to talk to somebody about their eternal soul, and maybe you, maybe you got their attention and you related the gospel to them, but you didn't press them for an answer. You know, w- would you right now be willing to trust Christ as your Savior? Right now, trust Christ with me as your Savior. And a little while later, you heard they were gone. Listen, we want to make sure that we're confronting people with the greatest, most important message there is. Number two, what to do with objections and questions. You say, Pastor, when I have done that before, there have been objections and questions that people have raised. And by the way, because we have the Internet these days, everybody thinks they know everything they need to know about religion and about a relationship to God. They have all this stuff coming at them all the time, and most people don't have a filter to be able to. They have no way to filter Uh, doctrinally, to be able to filter what they're listening to and what they're hearing. And and the result is that they're filled with all kinds of questions. Now, look, I've had some crazy questions, and I've had some really good questions. I've had some where they were just looking for an argument, and I've had some where they were honestly looking for an answer. This is where apologetics comes in. Steve Tardy. Uh, Is Steve here tonight? He's downstairs in the life group. I'm sorry. Uh, that, that's where Steve Tardy comes in, teaching uh, the apologetics of the, of the Scripture and how to give answers to some of these questions. It's good to educate yourself in those things. When we offer those things, it's good to learn those things, to give good answers to the questions that people are asking. And there's a lot of good people that, you can, that, are, that are online that you, you, you talk to me. <laughs> Not all of them. There are a lot of good apologists who can help you to, give, to learn to give answers to some of these questions. But you, you can do th- one of four things with questions. You, you can ignore the, uh, the, objective, uh, the objection or the question. And a lot of times I do that. And here's the reason I do that. I ask the person, I say, will you let me come back to that objection? Will you let me come back to that question? We'll come back to it at the end. Will you let me finish what I'm telling you? And the reason I do that is because the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit. 
The answer I'm going to give to him as an unsaved man, he's not going to understand anyway. He needs to be born again. He needs to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. He needs to be a child of the living God to be able to grasp the answer that I want to get him, get, give him. And that question is going to be a distraction rather than a stepping stone. Sometimes you ignore the objection or question. Sometimes you postpone the objection or question, which is a little of what I was just talking about. By the way, if you don't know the answer, don't just say whatever comes to your mind. It's always better to tell somebody, you know what, I, I don't know the exact answer to that question, but give me a little time, I'll get back to you, and I'll share with you my thoughts about that objection or about that question. Don't, don't, don't tell them what you last saw on the Internet. You know, that, that ain't going to do them any good. It's like going and diagnosing yourself on the Internet. Y'all do that? Yeah. Dr. Google. Y'all do that? <clears throat> when I started having these physical problems, I went uh, on the internet trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm a lot sicker than I really am. <laughs> because Google says I am. They told me what all was wrong with me. Actually, I had multiple things wrong with me. They all had similar symptoms. And I had to have all those things. I couldn't just have one of those things. I got to have them all. You know, um, sometimes you have to postpone the objection. You have to postpone the question. Don't just answer something that you don't know is the right answer. It is better, it is better to put off the answer and come back with the right answer than to give the wrong answer and have to come back and correct the answer you gave them. Did y'all do that in school? Did y'all do that in school when you got a test and you wrote down the answer? Did the teacher give you the opportunity to come back and correct the answer? She did? What class was that? I was never in that class. I was never in that class. They never gave me a second chance. Sometimes it's best uh, to postpone the answer. Sometimes you answer the objection to the question. Sometimes you just tell them the answer. If you know the answer, you tell them the answer. And sometimes you research the objection or the question. But you got to ask the question. And so we got to gain their attention. we got to relate the gospel. we got to ask the question. And ultimately the question is, do you know Christ? Have you trusted? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ for eternal life? Letter C, you want them to call on Christ. If you've asked them the question and they say, no, I, I don't know Christ. And I, I don't know salvation and I don't know forgiveness and I don't have eternal life or whatever their answer may be you, you want to bring them to the place where they call on Christ now I want to be careful to tell you something <clears throat> uh, you can call on Christ and not believe in your heart um, I, I've seen people who just to get you away from them will pray a prayer but there is no heart faith there is no heart belief and then I've seen people who believed that never said a prayer. Because what saves us is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what saves us. But I always like to talk to somebody, and when I'm sharing the gospel with them, I like to bring them to that point where they say to Christ, save me. Where they say to Christ, I'm trusting in you. I like there to be that crisis moment. I like it because I like to write it down and hand it to them. If they have a Bible, to write it in the front of their Bible so that they'll have the date and the time when they, when they trusted in Christ as their Savior. That's so important. 
But we want them to come to a place where they call on the Lord. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave you the power to be the sons of God. Do you see that? Are you all with me? By the way, I brought my wrong glasses tonight. I picked up the wrong glasses. So I can see my notes, but y'all are all blurry. We want to ask the question. We want them to call on Christ. We want to bring them to the crisis moment. Uh, Some of the sweetest moments of my life have been those moments when somebody said, I want to trust Jesus now. I'll never forget the first person I led to Jesus Christ. His name was Terry. I was a teenager. I had not been a Christian very long myself. We were in Georgia, and one of the things we did on Sunday afternoon is the youth group got together and we went out into the community and we visited from door to door, house to house, and we left information. You know, that was something a lot more popular in those days than it is these days. A lot, a lot easier than it is these days, maybe is the way to say it. Uh, but we'd leave something at people's houses. We'd speak to people and invite them to our church. And we did that every Sunday afternoon uh, during uh, spring and fall. We did that every Sunday afternoon as young people. Uh, on this particular day, I was paired with a young man named Terry. And uh, Terry was a, maybe a year or two younger than me. He was about my age, a year or two younger than me. So he was probably, see, he would be about 39 now. Um, <clears throat> no, I think Terry's 63 or 64. I'm 65. Uh, <clears throat> we, were, we were talking as we were walking along, and I got into a conversation with Terry about the gospel and about how Christ had changed my life on that December the 26th evening. And in the conversation, I began to realize that Terry did not know. Here's a young person coming to the youth group, and he did not know Christ as his Savior. We never made it to the first house before the bus came back around to pick us up. We stopped at the mailbox at the end of the driveway, and I'm sure everybody on that street was wondering, what are those two teenagers doing out there at my mailbox? And we stood out there at the mailbox, and I related the gospel to him, and he bowed his head, and he trusted in Christ as his Savior. We went to church that night. He walked the aisle and professed his faith that evening, later was baptized, went off to Bible college. I still talk to him when I go home, when I see him. Here's the point. We've got to get people to the place of of calling on the Lord, trusting in Jesus Christ. And if you've ever, ever had that privilege, if you've ever had that honor, you've ever had that opportunity, it's, it's like um, honey from the honeycomb. You want to go back and do it again and again and again. Now, again, you have to understand the Holy Spirit does this work. You don't do this work, but you want to be a part of that over and over and over again. And may I tell you, since 2020, people have pulled in We have pulled in. That's the reason for the messages on Sunday morning. We have pulled in. But people themselves have pulled in, and they're keeping themselves safe. But we've got to find a way to gain their attention, relate the gospel, ask the question, and have them, when they're ready, to call on Christ. And there is nothing better than getting up from a seat where you are, from where you're kneeling, or a table where you've been sitting, And being able to look across and say, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of God. There's nothing better than that. 
So the letter C is call on Christ, and then the letter E. This is grace. Explain the promise. Before you leave that person, you want to explain the promise. It is amazing to me how many people live without a knowledge and assurance of their salvation. And how many people are in that state because nobody ever told them they could have the assurance of their salvation. Isn't that amazing? Do you have the assurance of your salvation? Do you know that you're a child of the living God? Now look, you don't look to your works to prove that. You look to the promises of God to prove that. Uh, God cannot lie. So we have to explain the promise. We have to make sure they understand what's going on. We have a little booklet that we give away to new believers called uh, 31 Days with Christ. 31 Days with Christ. And there's 31 short chapters. I mean like very short chapters that talk about every aspect of the new believer's life. We want them to understand what it means to be a child of God. That's what I mean. Explain the promise. We've got to review the scriptures. Take them back to the scriptures. What does it say? Did you trust in Jesus? For God so loved the world. Are you part of the world? Yes, I'm part of the world. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, did you just put your faith in Jesus? Yes, I just put my faith in Jesus. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish. Does that mean you'll not perish? Yeah, that means I'll not perish. Well, what does that mean you have? Well, I, I have everlasting life. How long does everlasting life last? <laughs> everlasting. That's why it's called everlasting life. If it wasn't everlasting life, it should have been named temporary life. You got it until you fall away. We've got to review the scriptures. Number two, you want to record the time and date. I mentioned that to you a few minutes ago. You want to record the time and date. You want to write it down. Uh, I'm getting close to the end here, so just, just hang with me for a few more moments. I was saved when I was 16, but a little bit later in, in my life, in, in the teen years of my life, I began doubting whether I was a child of God or not. I began comparing my experience with Christ to somebody else's experience with Christ rather than comparing it to the Word of God in the promises of the Word of God. And I saw them. Boy, they had big crocodile tears, and you know, they came down to an old-fashioned mourner's bench, and they went through you know, this terrible agony of soul. And you know, I, I didn't do that. I just recognized I was a sinner, and I needed to trust in Jesus to be my Savior. And that December the 26th, 1973, I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and became a child of the living God. And I thought, wait a minute, I, I didn't have all that. And I began comparing myself to somebody else. I have a message about... Uh, uh, well, I have a message about something. Uh, I'll come back to it because my mind has gone completely blank. But it's about the assurance of salvation. Ten things about having the assurance of your salvation. Isn't it great to know that you know that you know that you're a child of the living God? Now, I'm way far from perfect. I've got a long way to go. Just ask Mary. I've got a long way to go. But when you pass my casket and you look at me in the casket, please don't say, doesn't he look good? <laughs> I look good now. I don't look good then. But when you pass my casket, I hope that you'll look in and you'll say, I know where he is. I know where he is. 
because he knew Christ as his Savior. You record the time and the date. Number three, you reveal the next step. I don't ever leave somebody that I've shared the gospel with and led to Christ. I never leave without telling them, you know, let me explain to you about some things that are going to happen, some things that I want you to understand, and part of that is baptism. You need to profess your faith. Your baptism has nothing to do with whether you're saved or you're lost, but your faith is a step of obedience, of professing that you are now a child of the living God and identifying with Christ and identifying with his church. And you reveal the next step. And number four, you return later to begin discipling him. You, re- you, you go back. You befriend that man or that woman, and you go back, and you share, the, share what Christ has done and you start talking to them about the importance of church and about uh, reading the scripture and about learning to pray. That's what the 31, uh, 31 uh, devotions of, for a new believer that we give out. That these are the things that you do. These are the things that will help you to grow, to start maturing. You, you have to help a newborn baby. How, how many of you mothers gave birth to a newborn child and walked away and said, you're on your own? Do the best you can. Hope you can make it. You didn't do that. You had to feed that baby and diaper that baby and love that baby and get up in the middle of the night with that baby and clean up where the baby threw up. You remember those days? Any of you remember those days? And you think to yourself, you know, will will they ever grow out of this? And then they grow out of it, and then you wish you could go back to it. Here's the point. When somebody's born into the family, they're like a newborn baby. You don't just leave them to themselves. we got to get them connected. What did I tell you last week? We want to get people connected to Christ. We want to get people connected to his church. And we want to get people connected to the commission, the great commission. We want them to go back and do the same thing repeatedly over and over. Connect them to Christ. That's salvation. Connect him to his church. That's sanctification. They want to connect him to the commission. But that's the task. You say, well, why do you call it the grace approach? Well, it could have been salt and light. It was, you know, 15 or 18 years ago, salt and light. Not these same lessons, 13 different lessons, but about the same subject. I called it the grace approach so that I could give you uh, a word to help you think about, okay, I'm, I'm here talking to them. What do I do first? I've got to get their attention, okay? I've got to get their attention. I've got to relate the gospel to them. I can't just stand here and just have a friendly conversation. You can have friendly conversation, by the way. That should precede everything. But I want to relate the, I want to relate the gospel to them. I want to ask the question, do you know Christ is your Savior? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you right with God? When they're ready to ask the Lord, you want to encourage them to call on Christ. And then you want to explain the things that God says about who they are and what has happened in their lives. It it sounds a little bit complicated. It's not that hard. It's really not that hard. Right? It's really not that hard. Um, So here's something we're doing. We told you about it this morning, and uh, I'll tell you about it again tonight. You can go online, lmbc.org slash testimonies. We're asking you to submit. When you, when you go to that particular part of the webpage, it'll bring up a little form where you can give us your name and you can type in a box and you can share your story of how you came to faith in Jesus, how you came to trust in Christ as your Savior. Um, I hope that a lot of you will do it. And really, 
we really aren't looking for a book. <laughs> we're looking for you to put it in two or three paragraphs because here's what we're looking to do. We've already got it in the process. Here's what we're looking to do. We're going to be printing the Gospel of John uh, for the spring. Uh, we're going to leave a page for you to write in the front of it, for you to write a little note to somebody in the front of it, and for you to be able to sign it. We'd like to be able to include, I can't include everybody's testimony uh, in the first edition. We may use different ones as we print them at different times, but I'd like to be able to have a page front and back where, where we've included, this is what the Lord means to me. This is how Jesus has changed my life. I was saved at such and such place and such and such time so that a person can read through those. We're going to be encouraging you. Are you with me? Are you with me? We're going to be encouraging you to take that little booklet, highlight the gospel in the gospel of John. Go through John 3.16, John 5.24, John 3.36. Highlight the gospel in that book. Write a little note in it, sign your name to it, and Give it to a friend and say, you know what? This is the gospel of John. This changed, this message changed my life. I've written you a little note, and I want you to know I've colored some things for you in it. I hope you'll take a moment and you'll look at those verses. And that'll be, be, be a way of opening the door, getting their attention. Wow. And maybe that's not the moment you'll start sharing the gospel, but you'll give it to them. And you'll go back and you'll start talking to them about Jesus Christ. Hear me, church. It's 2020 is over. 2021, 2022 is gone. People are not going to come find the church. We have to go find the people and bring them to Jesus. That's the way it works. The Great Commission isn't come and we'll tell you what you, we want you to hear. The Great Commission is go. And we will tell you what you need to hear. And everybody, everybody can be involved with us in sharing the gospel. Maybe Mike goes and shares the seed of the gospel with somebody. And I, I come along behind him and I water that seed. And it begins to, it begins to grow. And maybe Nisha comes along. Well, she'd step on it. But uh, no. <laughs> Now, Nisha comes along, and, and she's, uh, she's cultivating what's growing in, in that person's life. And then one of you comes along, and what happens? You're there at the moment that they say, yes, I'm ready to trust in Jesus. And you come back, and you realize that everybody that's in that process is going to be rewarded for being a part of that process. From the sowing of the seed initially to the harvesting of the fruit that comes Everybody's going to be rewarded for being a part of that process. Every one of us can bring somebody to Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be great? Uh, we had 700 and almost 750 this morning. That's way down. Just, that's 150 from where we were in 20, before 2020. Wouldn't it be great if 750 people brought one person to Christ in 2023. You don't think that's a good, you don't think that's a good goal? Amen. Wouldn't it be great if 700 people brought one person to Jesus Christ in 2023? Say, I don't know if I can do that. Can we try? Can we say, Lord, here am I, use me? Can we say, Lord, the gospel is what changes people? This is not about you and how fancy you can be. This is about getting the message out 
Can you say, Lord, use me, let me lead someone to Jesus Christ? I hope you'll say that with me.